What's up, humans? Welcome back to the Human Music Podcast. This is episode 50, Moon Splatter Goes with the Flow State. So, we made it to 50 episodes. To celebrate, we have a special guest, the one, the only, Moon Splatter. He's an accomplished producer, DJ, and dojo sensei. Moon Splatter left a career as an astrophysicist to pursue music full-time. He's here today to talk to us about his love for sub-bass, his songwriting process, blending analog modular gear with digital tools, his favorite softwares, and his thoughts on workflow and flow state. Make sure to check out our sponsors, Dojo TV, where you can get free producer live stream classes from the producer Dojo Senseis. And this podcast was recorded live, so you could have been there asking questions in the chat. That's free. So click the link. Also, the Dojo Max membership, where you can get monthly private lessons, unlimited track feedback, and the weekly download archive from Ill Gates. It's an amazing value, and Moon Splatter in the podcast talks about how huge a value the Dojo and mentorship in general has been on his production career, and you can get that benefit too. Next up, Guest Practices, where you can learn engineering from Seth Drake at the Approach Institute. He's high key the best engineer we all know. And with guest practices, your first class is free, so you can see how amazing that knowledge actually is before you pay for it. And you'll want to. It's absolutely worth it. Finally, Gangaroo Records Music Distribution. Once your tunes sound amazing, you'll need to get them out to the world, and there's no better place to do that with Ga- than with Gangaroo. You can get unlimited uploads for under $10, and they throw in a lot of those extras for free that a lot of their competitors make you pay for, like getting your music on Shazam and YouTube content ID. Key things for your music, but, you know, Gangaroo keeps it real. They're a bunch of musicians that are doing this for the music community. Well, all right, y'all, those links are down below. But without further ado, let's get right into the podcast with Moon Splatter. <laughs> Hello, people of Earth. This is Tesco with Rip Kenny and Trap Jesus, and you're listening to the uh, Human Music Podcast. Woo! Hmm. Human Music Podcast. I like it. It's Dojo TV. What's up, guys? What's up, oh, yes. Hey. Oh, yeah. What's cool? Hey, let's see. Who's What's good? Yeah, anybody on? Anybody on? Either way, we're here. And, uh, you know, it's, it's your favorite friendly human music producer host. I'm Luke Rain. I am, I, I am, I am Rip Kenny. That is yeah, me. We got Rip Kenny over here, and we got uh, Tesco. What's up, Tesco? Ooh, what's up? What's up, man? And very special guest we've had. We've wanted to get him on for a while, so we're super happy to have yeah. him here with us today. And it's extra special to get to have him on Dojo TV because he is a sensei over at the dojo, a black belt, overall just great dude that I've got the the pleasure to hang out with in person a couple of times. It is the one, the only Moon Splatter, Big Up. What's up, guys? Aloha. Aloha. Yes. Aloha. Man, <laughs> not as warm as you. 
Yeah, probably not. <laughs> it was a balmy 15 degrees here this morning, so I'm I'm sure you're probably a good 60 degrees difference. Then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't really get less than 80 around here usually. Damn, that's awesome. I don't, I definitely don't, I don't miss the Chicago winters. That's the one thing <laughs> about that city I'm not missing. Although I did love living in Chicago. That was a pretty awesome place. I, I do miss parts of it, but not the fucking winter. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I believe it. I've been to Chicago spring and it wasn't that it wasn't that nice uh, weather wise. It's real windy. Oh, yeah. Spring doesn't really exist there. It's like winter is like half the year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. So thank thank you for joining us, first of all. Um, yeah. Why don't, why don't we start off by giving the people that, that might not know you super well a little bit of background on on you and your musical journey? thus far you know what kind of got you into music and and what's kind of interesting you nowadays sure yeah well i mean i've been like a lot of people making music for most of my life you know started picked up the piano when i was pretty young and then the guitar a little while after that and it's like you know growing up musical taste changed a lot like i'm sure you guys know like so went from I mean, one of the first things I got really into was actually fish because my aunt like bought me a fish CD <laughs> when I was for like played a fish song when I was like five years old and it was just really funky and weird and I like loved it. So like one of the first CDs I ever got and got really into was like a couple of fish records. And then as I got older, got into like metal and stuff and got really into that for a while and was like playing guitar and keyboards and metal bands and then moved to Santa Cruz for college in 2008. And that's when everything really changed. You know, Santa Cruz is a fucking crazy place. Uh, it's like, I don't know, this town full of like surfers and burners and whooks and deadheads and baseheads <laughs> and like, like, yeah. and then, you know, college kids. And just, it's like, there's, there's a lot going on. And so like right away, I, was introduced to bass music, like sitting in my friend's dorm room, smoking bong rips, and he like plays this music. I didn't know what it was. It was like <laughs> like electronic music was something that was like really alien to me at the time. Like it wasn't really big in Salinas when I was growing up. Like you're either into like people were into like hip hop, like Bay Area hip hop or like metal or whatever. But like I didn't know anyone who was like going to raves or into EDM. Yeah. And then I moved to Santa Cruz for college and like everyone else there is like kids from the Bay Area or like LA and like it's all they're talking about are raves and like the the raves they've been going to, they're like trading candy. And I'm just like, I don't like what is this? This is so I didn't know this is I thought raves were like a thing from the nineties, you know? Like I didn't think it was a thing (laughs) that kids my age were like doing. It was just like totally foreign, you know? And so it was it was pretty crazy, like sitting there and just like hear this music that was so much more you know aggressive but still groovy and like i didn't know synthesizers could sound like mean you know and this is still this is still 2008 so it's like the before dubstep really like it changed right yeah and and then the next day like i'm sitting in the same room and we decided to well we tried to get mushrooms but we ended up finding some acid and then ate that and then hearing the same song like in that room coming up on that just like watching my face my friend's face melt and just like 
all of a sudden getting it, you know, and they just like, okay, I need to figure, like, I need to figure out what this sound is, you know, yeah. it was like, that was the, re- that's been the rest of, you know, the last, what has it been? 13 years, just like yeah. obsessing over this, like, yeah. in sound. Yeah, it's and cool. So, the the early bits of dubstep, at least that I heard, like, because I was I was much the same. Like, I had a huge metal phase in like middle school, high school, um, and like a lot of like the early bass music stuff that like caught my attention. Like, it had kind of like a metal aesthetic to it. Like, it was very like aggressive, but in a way that like you were just like, "What the fuck is this?" And then, yeah, like electronic music before that to me, it was like everyone just called it like techno but it wasn't it wasn't techno it was like you know you might liken it to happy hardcore like as a genre today yeah (laughs) like i remember i when i was in high school for a couple like a little while i got pretty into like computer games and stuff and me and a lot of my friends played world of warcraft like all the people in my band were all playing it we would play that we ended up becoming friends with these like canadian kids and they were really into trance and they would talk about yeah. Tiesto all the time. And I had no idea what they were talking about. And I was like, the fuck is trance? You mean like techno, right? It's like, no, yeah, techno exactly. is a genre. Like, oh yeah, okay, dude, whatever. Yeah. He's clearly talking about techno, you know? Yeah. And then he sent me some song. It was like a Paul Oakenfold remix of a Tiesto track. It's like, this is my favorite song I've ever heard. And I remember being so like confused by it. Cause I was like, this sounds cool, but it's like, I felt like I was waiting for something to happen the whole time that never happened, you know, and I was just, it was just really didn't make any sense at the time, you know, when I was like 16 and never had done real drugs, you know, and like was into music that was like really complicated and constantly changing, you know? So do you, was, you know, sorry, I was just going to ask, do you have any like specific songs or moments you recall from that phase where you're like, okay, that song's the shit or like, damn that dude looks like he's having fun or whoever like i want to do that too was there that turning point for you or do you feel like it was kind of like a slow gradual transition oh no it was immediately like like i heard this track it was like all right this is something i need to figure out how to do and then like like being in santa cruz was at the time was like you know right away my friend like i was friends with people who are really into spinning fire and stuff like one of my best friends you know he's the best man at my wedding he's like really good at fire spinning and we were there and he would you know we would go do fire spinning stuff he he found like this you know renegade fucking party in the forest because of his fire spinning buddies and that's how i found you know the renegade santa cruz forest parties and that was like some of my first experiences with that and like like that that back then you know that's the same time like minnesota and g jones were students there too and so that's how i met those guys we were all kind of hanging out doing these like forest parties and shit and wait did and you so just I lightly kinda, like, did you just lightly right away did you just what? lightly drop the fact that you've met minnesota and g jones before they were famous oh yeah no i've, I've known them <laughs> for a really long time what? like one of my one of my homies was roommates with g jones like he like i i it's santa cruz is a pretty small like scene you know so what like you know everyone kind of a little bit so like i used to do forest parties with minnesota and stuff and like that's you know, so a lot of my friends are like pretty close homies with g jones and um push loop is also a really close friend of mine who i met like 
10 years ago back then in Santa Cruz. I met yeah. him through my friend Zipsy, who isn't that well known yet, but he's really fucking good. And he's definitely going to blow up at some point. But like, you know, there, there's, that's just the kind of place it is. There's like, there's a lot of creative energy there. There's like, it's really, you know, there's tons of artists just like making art, like for just, you know, like yeah. basically being poor by choice and stuff and, you know, being on the street, like spinning coins, juggling and making art just because it's, you know, it's fucking Santa Cruz and that's yeah. what you do, you know? Yeah. Cause it's expression. I feel like, God, I wish I could teleport back to, a renegade forest party at Santa Cruz and in, in, in the late two thousands. I feel like that I've those yeah. were the right those were the right ones to be at back yeah, then. Yeah, it was super fun. So how did that look like for you when uh after you'd already dedicated and you're like, all right, this is the shit, this is what I'm gonna do. How how was that transition? Did you have any buddies that could like show you you know how to get your feet wet or were you just like youtubing frantically to find anything you could find like how did those next couple of years look um that's a good question well like i mean basically summer after my first year of college i decided to sell my guitar amp i had like a pv5150 half stack it was like mm. i i wasn't really planning on playing in bands anymore so it's like you don't really need an amp like that like your roommates are gonna hate you if you <laughs> Like right. you can't, it, there is no low volume setting, you know, on a speaker like that. So I was like, fuck it. I sold it, bought some Technics and started buying like dubstep vinyl, which was really fun because there's a couple of little like record stores in Santa Cruz that would always have really good dubstep vinyls. And so me and my friends would sometimes even buy just random shit because it looked cool, you know, like I didn't really know what I was doing yet. And so that was kind of how we got started. Like I didn't even know that like, like I didn't know that that was wasn't gonna what I needed to like play my own music yet you know like I didn't know anything about DJ so I was still just kind of like fucking around with these records downloaded Reason was using Reason that eventually was like I think this Ableton thing looks cool and you know found Ill Gates because you know because of Bass Nectar like a lot of people do I mean and that was like the first real show I ever went to was based after in Santa Cruz, which is like, he, he went to school there too, you know, that he was part of that whole thing. So this, that was like, you know, a pretty big moment also. And of course, you know, you find Bill Gates pretty quickly through that, start learning from his videos. And like my progress was slow for a little while. Cause I was also getting a degree in astrophysics, you know? So it's like, I wasn't like doing it, you know, it's, it's, it was a lot. It's like like even even for me who wasn't necessarily the greatest student ever, you know, but I still had to work pretty hard to get a fucking B average or whatever I did. I was gonna and say like, like yeah, at the same time, like yeah, and but at the same time, you know, trying to like DJ at forest parties and do all this stuff. So it's like you know, it was, it was it was a lot at once. So it's not like I was, you know, making timer beats and like cranking out shit and really being an efficient producer. Like I right. wasn't able to really like dive into that until i graduated and then you know had this moment where i realized like oh shit like i don't have to do anything other than work on music and like i used to think i wanted to go to grad school and like try to do both but then at that point it was like no i can't i can't ever go back to school like this is just that's just fucking crazy like you can't you can't you know do two things that you have to put everything into you know mm -hmm. it's like at some point you got to choose 
But then I ended up getting really lucky because I, I had the degree and moved to Chicago because my wife was working on her PhD and then got really fortunate that I got that a job at Fermilab because all you need is a bachelor's in physics to be a particle accelerator operator. And I had that. So it's like, fucking sure. Yeah, I could do that for a couple of years. And that was really exciting and really interesting. And actually, like I learned a lot about music from being there because particle accelerators are kind of like giant synthesizers. It's, it's really interesting. I like learned a lot about analog synthesis because of this machine, which like influenced me to start getting more into analog and modular stuff, which like then influenced how I use things like Ableton. It's like pretty yeah. crazy how like that experience yeah. like became part of the whole thing. Dude, that's like the, uh, first of all, the juxtaposition of like, <laughs> going to school oh i know it's funny it's really, it, really, like, it doesn't really make that much sense but and i was yeah. like I'm not, I'm not that good a student but i'm getting a degree in astrophysics <laughs> but i don't really care about school but i work <laughs> at a particle accelerator lab you know like what the fuck that's fucking well, awesome like yeah i mean it like, it doesn't make sense at first until you realize that, like, when you get to college and you're going to decide what you want to do, like, doing something that's difficult, like physics, is easier for me because I like doing it than, yeah. like, something that you might think is easier. Like, totally. like I could never get a degree in something else because I just don't want to fucking do it. But, like, yeah. you know, I didn't mind putting in all that time to the math and physics because I liked it. You know, so yeah. it, like that's the only it's because it's like, you know, I I did really want to do it and I did like it, find it interesting. But I realized that, you know, seeing in my friends, the ones who are really passionate about physics and like, you know, my wife and all the scientists I know, like they they care about their research as much as we care about our music. You know, yeah. and it's like at some point you got to make that choice. You know, you can't really have two things like that. So. You know, so what what, what, did, what did what did that turning point kind of look like for you? Like what what was what was the moment where you realized that you you wanted to take music as like your 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 main thing, whatever that looked like? Well, there was it wasn't so much of a turning point. Like I always yeah. knew that I was going to make music. It's just I thought I could do both for a while, yeah. and then there was a realization of like. Like, because really, I, I applied to a few grad schools, but like, really, only the ones in Chicago. So it's in, like University of Chicago and Northwestern are pretty hard schools. I didn't really have much yeah. of a chance, and then it's like I only had a couple other options. So I applied, didn't get into any of them, and like I could have reapplied, like taken the G GREs again and reapplied, but it was like sitting there finally getting to make beats and not have to worry about other shit made me realize there's no fucking way I was ever going to do that. You know, like that, yeah. there's no way. And so that, that was what it was, is just having the freedom to work on music and realize like I'd rather be fucking broke than, you know, go back to school. And like, like, and it's not like I was worried about that. I had a degree. It's like, yeah. Yeah. In Astro. Chicago. Yeah. I was just moving to Chicago <laughs> and get a job or whatever. And like, you know, I didn't make any money at first, really. Like my first jobs were like, I worked at, an ice hockey rink in Chicago, like sharpening ice skates in the pro shop. But that it was actually pretty cool because it yeah. happened to be the rink where the Blackhawks practice. 
and they happened to win the cup that summer. So I ended up getting to see it because I was working there and they like had a day where they brought the cup into the ring. So I was like, like a month into that job, got to take pictures with the Stanley Cup, which is fucking hilarious. That's That's cool. (laughs) And then I like worked as a physics tutor at Malcolm X College for a little bit. And like that was cool, you know, but it's still very part time. You're not getting paid very much. But, you know, so it was really like, and then what ended up happening was that's when Dylan did his Patreon thing to take on students. It was like 2015. And he's like, I'm going to take on students hundred dollars a month and get like that one hour lesson a month. And I was like, definitely couldn't afford it at that time, but I decided, fuck it. I'm going to put on my credit card anyway. And then got really lucky and got the Fermi lab job, like, like a week later or something. It was crazy. So then there's like this two year period of kind of really intensely learning from Dylan. And then also, you know, working on the machine and stuff. And then, a couple of years after that, the, you know, producer dojo started to actually like form as, as we know it now, you know. Man, that's really cool that you said, you know, you kind of took that leap of faith where, you know, like, man, I don't know if I have the money to do this, but I just feel like I really got to. And I, yeah. I saw another producer, Paige Turner, that I, that I am friends with on Facebook posted something today where he was also talking about kind of, you know, making sure to spend the money to get the mentorship he knew he needed for where he wanted to go. And he said, you know, this phrase that's killer, just there's a difference between I can't afford to, and I can't afford not to. And you got to figure that out in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's like, I think one of the really, I mean, a really important thing I learned from, you know, doing physics and stuff is like how important, you know your mentors are and like learning from other people because like you can't you can't learn something like you know the cutting edge physics really on your own like a few people can but like you you know even even einstein couldn't be einstein without the work of all these other people you know like that's how it works you don't learn all this shit on your own so like why would music be any different so i really started to under you know understand the value of that like right away and so, yeah, I was like, I was, I was already paying for Dylan's workshops and doing them on my own. But when he was going to offer one-on-ones, it's like, yeah, it's just too good to pass up, you know? Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah, jinx. <laughs> <laughs> Man, um, so I'm curious to hear more about sort of where you're at now. What's been kind of, you know, catching your attention lately? Love to hear, you know, how the analog synthesis route has gone and, and yeah, just hear a bit more about like what's catching your interest currently and like what are you inspired by? Um, I mean, I'm pretty inspired by like dub music, you know, like mm. both like the new and old, just you know, I'm really into like delays and reverbs and uh I don't currently have a sub pack because it broke, but I got it sent in for repairs and I ordered a new one. So whenever I get that back, that'll, you know, that's been pretty essential to how I work now. Like I, I ended up leaving my subwoofer in Chicago because I just knew it was going to be too expensive to ship here. It was like a $300 sub is going to cost you a couple hundred bucks to ship to Hawaii. It's not like, it's not really worth it. And so I kind of got used to working without it and, you know, really, getting used to you know how the sub pack feels and like i sit here during the day 
like I do all my work from the studio, you know, whether it's working on music or doing other dojo work or doing my other like side job and stuff. And when I'm doing that, a lot of times I'll have the sub pack on and just kind of listening to really, you know, deep bass and music. And, you know, it, like, like I remember, I remember years ago being kind of like, not really being sure how you how you make like subby music be interesting you know because that you know it's easy to like early on you know the kind of drop focused music is more attention grabbing it's and it's it's a little easier to pick out like what kind of makes it what it is totally. you know and like you know the the, the subby based music really like makes more sense when you hear it on a big system and so well you know the sub pack is like kind of the closest comparison to that. And so when you really get used to like using that, it's, it's easier to understand like how that deep music works. And so I, I feel like the last year when music stuff, we've been getting a lot like sub year and stuff. And yeah, um, I got, I had a couple of uh, tracks come out on the WIDFAM label, which is the Widler's new like label. Cause he, he does a lot of like Twitch streaming and does feedback on there. And there's, you know, there's, group of producers like growing out of that and so he wanted to make a label to showcase that stuff and so I sent in a couple of my collabs with my friend Zipsy and one with um, Mafunka from the dojo and those are both like pretty weird out there like bassy tracks you know that I knew that they would love so you know they wanted to they put them out on their compilations and stuff and so yeah that's that's been a lot of it it's like really you know I really like like deep dark and dangerous stuff obviously like turning and sound i think is really sick they're they have a really interesting like point of view and i really like mungo's hi-fi which is like a uk kind of they're they really hit that like edge in between the old style dub and like dubstep like they have some tracks where you can't really quite tell like what it is it's like that's all you know they have a lot of stuff that you're like that's definitely dub and then they have some you're like okay that's kind of becoming just straight dubstep now and i think that's that's kind of an interesting like place to be you know in between those two like older styles yeah totally. i would say i would say someone like uh peekaboo is another artist that like some of his stuff feels like it's very old school dub influence but like very modern sounding um you also made a really good point that i love which is the like when you start making music like the more like upfront like like in your face style like dubstep type stuff if you're into bass music makes more sense to try and make yourself because it's less there's less nuance right it's like it's like dr like beat one boom, beats two through four no 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 <laughs> like like you can dissect it very easy and it's all like right there um but but stuff like you know more dub influenced stuff there's a lot more nuance to it you're like why do i like this so much um, it's also it's also tends to be like like djs tend to use it differently too totally. you know it's like it's a lot less like you know this like moment of you know well i mean it used to be all about the build-ups and drops although now i notice there's a lot more like i don't know just kind of like hard cutting to other like drops and stuff and then you know or let the build up play and drop or whatever but like the older style has a lot more of like you know kind of blending in these like rhythms and creating a new rhythm with it and then 
kind of more sneakily bringing in these 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 like bass lines and stuff and so it's a lot more of a like kind of progressive way of djing and so you you make your tracks you can make your tracks differently this way you know? and so it's 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 a whole it's a whole just kind of different like outlook on the style you know it's more about like building a vibe and a groove around that you know mm-hmm. so when it comes to your writing process i know this is such a such a bad question quote unquote but like what's your process like generally speaking like do you tend to start with the sound design stuff or are you trying to create that mood and vibe first and then create the baseline around that or how does that sort of go for you you know lately i've been trying to do you know think about more about creating vibes and moods moods first because like if especially if you're making more subby based music it's like you can drop the bass anytime so if you set up that mood, mood set up, you know, the anticipation, you know, make the music first. It's like have make a subby baseline. It's like it doesn't take that much work, you know, like because the, the sub could just be a sine wave. I mean, there's a bunch of other shit I'll do to my subs, you know, that are more complex. But like you don't necessarily need that, and it doesn't have to be this like complicated thing, you know. Like and you can think about it, the music first and just do what feels right like for me i've been getting better results that way and just you know like one one thing i try to think about is to avoid overthinking things and like you know trying to impress people and make stuff that's like too complicated or whatever is you realize that like the stuff that seems simple to you isn't simple to someone else you know and if you just just do what's natural and just worry about making music like you know that that's what really matters, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter how complicated this patch is, you know, and it, like, it definitely takes, you know, it's easy to say that, you know, it takes a lot of experience to like get past all those things and stuff. But, you know, lately it's really, for me, it's all been all about like building vibes, you know, and then kind of going into the sub first and making really interesting baselines with the sub. And then if I want more highs out of the sub, I usually do that by like, you know, processing the sub, like clipping it and, and, you know, doing UAD processing and stuff. Like I have my Apollo, so that's a pretty big part of my workflow, you know, and even, I don't even have my analog stuff here. Like that's actually still in LA because I, the plan was I was going to move, go back and play some festivals and get all my shit. And then obviously that didn't happen. And then I haven't really felt the need to get it because I've been really exploring more like Max for Live stuff and then using that as part of my workflow from what I learned in the analog world, right? And so like a lot of my sound design will come from, you know, like doing really simple stuff like in, in you know, some, like operator or whatever, and then kind of looking for connections throughout the project with things like the envelope and envelope follower and the expression control and using, you know, arpeggiators and the velocity control on that to like make stuff move together, you know, in in more interesting ways. And so it's like what you're doing in each step isn't necessarily that complex, but you're just kind of like following your ears and connecting things together in in a different way. So that's like a lot of, a lot of what it is now. I'm really glad that you've, you've said, um, that you you said a lot of what you did because it seems like it's all coming from this approach of like keep the original idea 
fairly simple. And then for all of the articulation stuff is when you get a bit more, you know, crazy with, with the automations and adjusting parameters and stuff like that. Um, which for sound design kind of music, I feel is a rabbit hole. A lot of people, you know, get stuck in at least, you know, the sessions I've done with people, it seems to be a common theme. Um, I'm curious, um, cause you've also been teaching for a while. If there are any topics that come to mind that you find yourself, um, you know, going over a lot or just anything like a big breakthrough that you've had that, that you enjoy sharing with other people that, that, uh, has helped them a lot. Um, yeah, if there's anything that comes to mind, I'd love to hear a topic. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, the things I just mentioned, those like Max for Live devices, that's something I've talked about all the time because a lot of people aren't, weren't before aware of what was there you know and this is actually like one thing i think is really interesting about the new ableton update is isn't so much anything new about it like the new stuff is cool but what they did was they took these things that used to be hidden in the max for live menu like the envelope the midi envelope the envelope follower you know like expression control like all these really useful utilities that a lot of people didn't know were there are now right up front. Like they're all in your normal audio effects. They're in that modulators tab, that modulator subfolder and stuff. Or, you know, even if you undo the folders, it's all there, like in front of you, these devices that used to seem like extra max for live stuff. Now they're just like, okay, no, like this is this is here, use them. And you know, for me, they've been crucial. Like I'll use like tons of those and everything, like, you know, because because what what it is is the envelope, for example is a MIDI envelope that can connect to eight different parameters anywhere in the project. So it's extremely like powerful because you can now have like your operator sending out an envelope trigger to make your baseline and then, you know, have that be modulating like a filter on another track or something or like a saturator parameter on another track or something. So that's that's what I mean. Now you have you're, you have this DAW working more like a modular unit, like Ableton itself. You know, like Mr. Bills talked about this in his masterclass. Like you you approach Ableton like a modular system, and so you don't have to be stuck inside of these like VSTs and plugins. Like you know, like everyone loves Serum because it's really powerful, and the the real reason why it's so powerful is that you can like make everything move together really easily, right? Like that's the big breakthrough Massive had and then Serum kind of like improved on that. But now you can do that in the whole DAW. Like you can connect LFOs to whatever you want. You can connect envelopes and envelope followers to whatever you want. And actually what I, what I have more fun with that rather than doing lots of LFOs, usually I go for the envelope follower first because what that is, is it follows the change in volume of the track. So if you have like, you know, an envelope on a sound or whatever early on that's, you know, making the volume do something, then you have the envelope follower over here, but then you can map just whatever you want anywhere in the project, right? So then, you know, if you're doing a lot of modulation with volume modulation, which a lot of stuff is, then you have your envelope followers tracking that to further modulate other stuff or whatever. So it's just kind of like, you know, a different way of like thinking about process. So I'm I'm definitely someone that's guilty of like pretty much only reaching for the max for live LFO <laughs> because yeah, like there's a lot of shit there. Yeah, yeah no, well, and like you, it's not obvious any of it's there. And like, 
you know, even for a while, I, even after I found the envelope follower and envelope, I still didn't know about a whole bunch of other stuff until like, there's a really good slink video where he goes over some of them, but like okay. all that stuff in his video now is like right up in the main menu. Totally. So I think it'll be really interesting because it should change. I think how a lot of people approach the software. Cause it's just kind of like, there's way more options that you didn't realize were there. Yeah. And I think, one of, so I just got a, like a full on Euro rack set up over the last couple months. Yeah. I can see it there. It looks like it's, it's, it's very fun. Um, but like, it's funny because you started mentioning these Macs for live devices. I was like, Jesus Christ. Like all, and like mentioning like how it works. I was like, that's exactly how my brain is thinking about this. Like a lot of the stuff that you have to do in Eurorack is like very similar workflow to that kind of thing. Like taking an envelope and then sending that multiple different places. And it's not just like within one box. It's like this envelope goes to like all these other different boxes. And so like, I feel like a lot of like what you were talking about with like the envelope and envelope follower are pretty powerful tools that, uh, now that my brain is thinking about things in that way it could be really beneficial. Um, since you seem to be pretty dialed into some other Macs for live devices being a staple of your workflow recently, what are some others that, uh, that you found to be pretty interesting lately or that um, most people might not know about? Well, the expression control one, yeah, I, I learned about fairly recently. And so that one, what that does is gives you parameters based on like the pitch bend and mod wheel and velocity so like if you're using a midi controller and you want to do your pitch bend on one sound that can modulate something on another channel or something mm. right so like you know like those kind of controls you didn't know were there and it's like a really simple thing and once you realize it's there you could like imagine all kinds of applications or whatever and then now in, in the new live there's a random parameter added on to that so every time you hit a MIDI impulse gate, it has a random parameter that randomizes a number that you can map to something. Yeah. So that, that's what the new expression control has. So that one was pretty cool. Um, there's also like, I haven't used it that much yet, but there's like a note echo now. So it's almost like you could think about it like a delay in the MIDI chain. Oh. So it's like you, you hit a MIDI note and then it echoes that MIDI signal. So Interesting. And then, yeah, yeah, I haven't, I haven't really fucked with it yet, but it sounds, it's, it's a cool idea. And then, I mean, the other one I use like all the time is the arpeggiator because the arpeggiator is extremely useful as a, like, not for necessarily arpeggios, but if you only input one MIDI note, it's useful for re-triggering that note at different rates. So mm. you get, instead of, instead of like like that's how some people do those really crazy like hi-hat patterns instead of like inputting a bunch of notes you have it on an arpeggiator and just automate the knob like and have that going in a sampler or whatever totally. but then that that ends up having more possibilities because the arpeggiator has a velocity ramp on it and stuff and so when you start tying that into like other velocity controls you know you could get a lot of cool stuff and then that's also why i i, I do I did get the like kilohertz hearts subscription because I've been playing with phase plant because I like the modularity of it and stuff. Cause that's kind of, that's kind of like the interface I want for this kind of workflow is like something that starts blank. So you can kind of just see the connections and then add what you need. And then, you know, they've got that, like 
you can multiply signals in that, which is a really like kind of modular kind of, you know, idea and stuff like that. So like all of those things are pretty fun because, you know, I, I really like to have things, you know, open and have all the possibilities open. So I could just kind of like turn a knob and be like, okay, yeah, I need to have that motion connect to this thing that I just, you know. Yeah. How is the, how is the max for live arpeggiator like better than the standard arpeggiator enabled? Oh yeah, no, I guess that's not max for live. That's just, I usually use the, the normal one, but I mean, oh, there are okay. a bunch of max for live ones that do more mm -hmm. complicated stuff that, yeah. um, one of, like there's this one, like, uh, I don't know, what do they call it? Like chaos generator one that sounds kind of interesting that I don't really know how to use yet, but it does cool stuff. Yeah. yeah I was going to say, um, like stuff like the random parameter on the expression control and i'm sure this chaos generator as well that's one of the things that i like about the euro rack is that a lot of uh, at least the random module that i got to add to the my euro rack setup it's like it's a much more fun way of doing mud pies than just like drawing a crazy lfo in serum or whatever like that's more like you can get more detailed with that, but you have so much control over like how random you want it to be. And like, does it output like note voltages or is it just like a, like a slewed random curve? And there's like all these different possibilities and like, like, um, like beep, like, like syncing possibilities for both the the random there's multiple random outputs right but like yeah. the rent like the it just feels like a very intuitive randomness to me so it it ends up sounding more musical and like you can get more musical results with the style of randomness that Eurorack has has kind of landed on um and so i feel like that and i i definitely need to check out chaos generator and all these other random things for max Live. you know when I'm you sure also like there's actually um there's cv controls too so like yeah there's a know. bunch of you know you can and that's been a, that's been a really like big kind of future goal i guess is i really want to like make uh more of a like you know comprehensive live setup that would I guess, you know, run more like a particle accelerator and, and take the advantage of both the digital and analog aspects. Cause that's one thing I realized, like, you know, one of the things that happens though, is like when people get really into analog is they, they want to do everything all analog, which like, that's cool, you know, but that's, that's putting extreme limitations on your, you know, creative abilities to go in all analog because as great as it is, as good as it sounds and as cool as all of it is, there are benefits to digital stuff. Like you have more control over things like the timing and making complex patterns and sending envelopes and LFOs and things, you know, and like there, there's a reason that at Fermilab, they updated the control room to be digital, but all the stuff in the field sending signals to the machines are still analog because it takes a lot of processing to like generate those signals in real time and have them be accurate, you know? And so the same thing goes with the stage. Like, you want to be able to have like make those sounds in real time and have you know control to be able to do like you know improvisation you know like obviously if i like i like jam bands and stuff and you know the thing that draws people into you know the grateful dead is that sense of adventure that like 
you're going to hear something familiar that like might go off the rails and then, you know, come back. And like, <laughs> that's, that's part of the fun of it. Right. And so like, I want, I kind of want to re- be able to recreate that a little bit. And I think the best way to do it is to integrate, you know, like a digital control center with these like analog, you know, sound generators, you know, and then you get the best of both worlds, which a lot of people don't do. Cause like, you know, like I said, you get people get really into analog and just like, want to go all analog and it becomes this like badge of pride like i do everything all analog like fuck you okay (laughs) but i'm gonna go do what i want and like make the music that i want you know yeah i think that's a really good point i I definitely that's definitely one thing that i noticed as well when i was getting into your rack doing all the research that uh that you would do if you were if you were building your own you realize that there's like two contingents of people there's like like digital people that are like what is euro rack and then there's like the people that are like analog only and then like pretty much you end up like having kind of a shit sounding drum beat with like a lot of complex like evolving plucky sounds but you like kind of miss the point somewhere in between there and so like when i was building mine i was like the whole goal of this thing is very specific it's like i want analog distortion i want like different sound sources and potentials that would make more sense to do an analog than digital. Like I'm not, I'm not like trying to do anything that I can already do in digital. Like I'm only trying to create additional options for myself. And then I'm not trying to do anything that like, I'm not, try, <laughs> I'm not trying to make all like, like you said, I'm not trying to make all the music in this. Cause then you're just like kind of missing the point. Right. Yeah. But uh, what you said about, about the live rig um, having the, the uh like digital control center with analog sounds the the similarity to the particle accelerator that you explained is absolutely fascinating to me i think that's super cool yeah it's Um, funny it's like i mean and like you know that that was an extremely complicated machine that i had to learn how to operate and so it's like you know you're you're thinking about it all the time and so it really you know like definitely learned a lot about that and i i you know, appreciate that experience and I think it'll be super fun. I just need like, you know, twenty thousand more dollars to like build the stage setup, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's the big downside yeah. is analog gets pretty pricey, but quick it, it'll be worth it one day because you know, I, I wanna like I don't know, like DJing super fun, but there's 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 more possibilities than just that, you know, like as the technology grows. Yeah. It's totally. no su- it's no surprise to me that uh that the first the first record that left an impression on you being fish that you you have you have some jan band tendencies in there Uh, yeah it was funny it was funny like i finally saw fish live when i was in college like the summer after my first year they played in um at shoreline over in like san jose and i actually ended up going by myself because my aunt who you know got me into them was supposed to go but she didn't end up making it she like lives in seattle and so I fucking just went by myself to this fish show. So it's just like, I got to see this. And, you know, definitely took some acid there. And it was, it was pretty cool. Like it was a cool moment. Like, you know, having it finally like make sense. Yeah. These weird ass records that I've been listening to as a child. Be like, okay, that fucking crazy part where it sounds like kind of garbage and then turns back into the song was kind of tight. Like, I like that yeah you know definitely seeing seeing you hearing that you were uh 
a kid that was both into like fish and also metal and then and then found EDM just makes a ton of sense. You got yeah. that long black hair, but then the tie-dye shirt, you know, it's just like <laughs> <laughs> so I did see um question in the chat that I actually have a, a good answer in there. What do I do with face plant? Well, my favorite thing about face plant is the disperser effect. It's like kind of hard to explain what it does. It's like rotates the phase is what they say. And like, you know, I say that and that's kind of just words until you hear it. Like it's, it's, it's not a thing you're used to hearing, but it sounds fucking weird. And one of the things that I do a lot, and like the reason why I like base plant is because you can use a lot of envelopes. And so I use it for my subs because then I'll do this. Like there's this pretty neat Mr. Bill video where he like, kind of does some like adds the third harmonic to get a little like you know little some sideband harmonics to the sub right and you, you know you could you add a little bit of that and then rotate the phase a little bit and you get this like nice sub and i was like all right well, what if i use phase plant because now i can have unlimited envelopes to then add movement to that rotated phase right and then what if i push that fur further by putting a disperser on it to rotate the phase some more and connect those same envelopes to that. And what I discovered is if you modulate the disperser frequency, you get a really like interesting, wonky, like pitch bend kind of effect that sounds surprisingly smooth for being like, you know, a DSP like pitch bend basically, you know, like, and, but it's not like a normal pitch bend because you're getting this rotating phase that sounds really fucking warm and just, wonky like in a certain area it's it's Dang. bizarre it's not it's just something you're not used to hearing so like throwing the disperser just on stuff and moving it around is always fun and then you know whether it's subs or like you know, I, I think a lot of people use it for like drums and shit but throwing it on subs was an interesting thing that i wasn't expecting I mean, that, that cool you know you're talking about like so that each hi-hat sounds a little different or whatever well no, I mean, well, the disperser itself, I mean, like, I guess it depends, it depends where you put the frequency, you know, because like you could set it on the low end and have it like kind of beef up your kicks and stuff like that. Like people use it for stuff like that. And then, you know, I don't, I don't think like just kind of looking at the presets on it, it seems like there's a lot of like percussion things like that that are meant to kind of like give it some punch or whatever, but, you know, taking it on your sub and moving the frequency thing around ended up being pretty wild that sounds super cool i i would describe like dispersers effect as being like adding liquid to a sound or like adding like plasticky liquid texture yeah it's weird i don't i've never heard anything like it before it's pretty unique so i i'm i'm into it and then i like that with kilohertz you can use it as standalone thing too right so if you're using your like you can throw it on operator with your max five envelope and do the same thing that you're doing in phase plant. So it's not, yeah. as, you know, like, I mean, that's, and that's kind of my, my point earlier about not being stuck within BST so much because they all basically do the same thing, you know, with a few exceptions, like something like that. And when you understand that, like they're all kind of the same, it's all sine waves you know like you know it doesn't really matter so much what you're using yeah. as long as you know you can connect it together and like yeah know, find your way like that 
for anyone that doesn't have disperser or doesn't want to go shell out money to get it uh if you want a similar effect this is going to sound really strange but put 20 otts on i'm not fucking joking put 20 otts on the track and turn them all down to zero percent that's funny i'm like, really at zero percent yes 20 OTTs at 0% produces a very similar effect to Disperser. It has something to do with, and I'm not the one that came up with this. I, I'm pretty sure it was like a Mr. Bill tutorial or something, but it does work. And I've used it in songs and like, like if you want, like I had like a harsh sound and I was like, I love this sound, but it's just not like really usable enough. Use that to kind of like, just like smooth and like I said, liquidify the sound. Uh, it works. I, 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 it has something to do with the fact that like a multiband, like compressor, much like an EQ, as it like basically splits the frequencies, it like adjusts the fade. Like there's there's a lot of math and science that Jack would Moonsplatter would probably understand a lot more than I do, but. It's it has to do with like the way that the thing works. Just at yeah, a I think level. I think I know what you're saying. Actually, I think it, it's because like how these things separate the sound usually is by some sort of phase cancellation. Mm -hmm. And so what's happening is you you're having like a imperfect phase cancellation. Yes. And by stacking it and multiplying that imperfection, yes. you're gonna get some sort of like you know artifact sort of rotation happening exactly See, i knew it. i knew the man i knew the man could explain <laughs> it better than me uh, there's uh there's a really good fox stevenson video i saw the other day where he basically talks about why he prefers not to use ott if anybody's interested it should be really easy to find and basically just shows like through an oscilloscope like trying to create some bases using square waves and then like when you put an ott on it you like fucks up the phase and you can see it in the oscilloscope and then when you try to like limit and compress and all of that, you see how it falls apart versus like when you keep the wave intact, for example. So, so um, yeah, for anybody that's interested, but I'm surprised that happens even at zero percent. That's the part no, that, right? that catches me off guard. Mm -hmm. Well, I think well, it, it, I mean it could yeah, be happening, yeah. but if, I mean if you don't hear it, it doesn't really matter that much. Like sometimes well, people get like overthink those things, and it's like. A lot of people use OTT, and I've heard a lot of music with OTT that sounds pretty good. So, totally. You know, yeah, I, I, I don't think, I think <laughs> people like overthink those kind of phase issues sometimes. It's like, it's one of those things like the once you learn about phasing, you start looking for it and worrying mm. about it. But it's like, if you start doing something that sounds bad, stop doing that thing. Like, that's, that's the right. best rule I've realized. And I like, I learned that from kind of hanging around Seth Drake because. Before we moved to Hawaii, I moved in LA for like five months. And so I was like kind of hanging out there a lot. That's when Seth was living there too at the dojo. So I had a lot of conversations with him about this kind of stuff. And like, it didn't make sense at first, but then after like, you know, really doing it and learning to like, you know, trust my ears more. Like there's, there's a lot of shit that I think matters. It just doesn't matter. You know? He's like, blown my mind in that sense. Seeing some of the stuff he does in the approach where I was like, man, I would probably overthink this move or be like, oh, it's improper or, you know, whatever. I shouldn't do this for insert reason here. And then just seeing him like slap an EQ on 
a vocal and boost the highs and not give give a flying darn about you know any phase uh-huh. issues or anything like that was was eye opening for me because I always heard like oh it's an important part you know don't don't EQ make sure you're removing with the EQ make sure you're doing this man same with um anybody that's taken a session with me knows but like if you haven't and you're having trouble getting loud mix downs one thing I found works very very well is just mix loud start clipping shit and like if you're making aggressive music make aggressive moves you're not gonna be you know yeah. making bass music and doing some shit you saw from a boomer rock tutorial <laughs> just not gonna it's not gonna translate the same yeah i agree that's that's the biggest thing i learned from hanging around him was just like i need to like not worry about these things and you know just do you know do what sounds right and like when it comes to sound design i was being like way too cautious you know and like this is like bill talks about this in his recent master class too that like mixing and sound design are kind of polar opposites and you know sound design you want to be really heavy-handed and extreme and just you know shape the sound and do whatever and then mixing's supposed to be more transparent or whatever and you're just like placing things and so and you know i realized that like you know watching seth like taking the saturator and putting the soft clip on and cranking it to 30 60 dB, and then like you said putting the eq before that like music shit and then he did some really weird shit where he's like he had an eq and he boosted the highs he's like like wanted to get rid of an annoying frequency so he boosted it into a multi-band dynamics with a hard you know ratio going down that would then take it out it was like what wouldn't wouldn't have thought to do something like that and you know a lot of people would probably tell you not to do that because of the whole phasing thing but it sounded good you know so whatever like you don't like like overthinking stuff just interrupts your your flow state you know which is a really was a really good weekly download i i want you know was like as i've you know been editing stuff for the dojo i watched that one many times and i really enjoy it and i realized it's like such a such an important aspect and that's why my workflows change so much to what it is is and with i've been subconsciously trying to like you know make it easier to you know just be in that flow state and not have these things that i like interrupt that so and and so it's like constantly like questioning stuff and worrying about these things like you know just kind of gets in the way of that and when you really get into like your your own ears and your own taste and you can kind of just let that be your guide but i mean it takes it takes experience right like definitely does to like I mean, for one thing, understanding what your own taste is, you know, takes a lot of like, you have to make a lot of tracks, you know, you're not going to know that right away, you know. Totally. And, and I'm feeling too, like that kind of ties in with your, with the the point I, I kind of highlighted earlier that you brought up on like, just keeping stuff simple, right? Because it's like, if you lose the workflow of it, it doesn't matter how sick that bass is or how cool your post-processing is or whatever, but like, you know, you could have the craziest one shot sound, but if it's not articulated, it's going to sound bad. Or you could take straight up a sine wave, slightly saturate it and like start putting LFOs on it and stuff and get good articulation. And it's going to sound more interesting than this, you know, quote unquote, more complex sound. So I think, um, like a theory I've had, um, which I'd, you know, be interested to hear your opinion on is like, 
kind of this idea of like everything in nature follows the path of least resistance. And like when you can keep it simple for yourself and find what naturally comes to you and expand on that, then that's how you like find your voice as an artist. Like that's a huge part of it. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of noticing that with you as you're saying, like you're finding your sound more, you're more comfortable, you're more expressive, but your workflow is also very much like keep these ideas simple, focus on the vibe, get that down you know, working from there. So I, I just thought that was, you know, worth bringing up. I think, yeah, that's, I'd never really thought about it like that, but that's an interesting point. And I, I would agree. I mean, that's a, that's a like fundamental property of the universe. I mean, in physics, we call that geodesics where it's like, that's like part of cosmology where like, you know, you know, like that's why planets move and stuff in, in these gravitational fields. It's like following the path of least resistance. You know, I, I think that but since we are, I mean, we are part of all of that. We are part of the universe. It, it kind of like I never really thought about it that way, but I like that. That totally makes sense that like to make this, you know, natural feeling sound or whatever. Because like the problem is you have this interface in your way, you know, you have all this technology and this interface in your way blocking you from you know playing music like someone would on the piano or like a singer just like feeling it or whatever and so you it's really beneficial to try to break that down as much as possible so that it doesn't interrupt that flow and then you realize that like you know that's where the good music comes from and then it comes back to that statement before about how like things that you think are simple aren't necessarily simple to someone else. And so you like just getting past that, like need to like show off your sound design skills and realize that like, it doesn't matter, you know, like then, then you can kind of embrace that a lot more and just follow the sound and, you know, make music, not like show people how good you are at using serum or whatever. Right? Amen. Yeah, I think Dylan had a, a quote on one of his weekly downloads where he was talking about how like if you're trying too hard, then it's not effortless. And if it's not effortless, then it's not cool. And don't yeah. write music that's not cool. Yeah, that's that's some good logic. Yeah. The thing he told me right on that vein once was like, if if it sounds like you're trying to do it, it sounds insecure. And then as soon as it's insecure, nobody cares because right back to it, it's not cool. Yeah. And that, you know, that Taoist follow the path of least resistance idea really does make sense. Like, what are you good at? You know, how can you support that shit? Like, just roll with, you know, roll with the simple stuff that comes naturally because that is the purest artistic expression, not look how much I manipulated this. Yeah. Totally agree. So uh, one thing I was curious about was this sweet new track you got out with our guy Porch. Oh yeah, that bass. Yeah, that one. That's a, yeah, that was that's a fun one. We 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 were like, we actually made that one like over a year ago because I I went to go see his band play on New Year's Eve in Vegas, like before I moved to Hawaii, and that was super fun. We like watched them play and then we went out to the casinos after and we're just kind of like hanging out like played some blackjack and stuff and then i ended up like driving back to la and making the intro and the first drop of that beat and like like basically like stayed up all night because i like still had energy from you know partying on new year's and uh 
you know, made that, sent it to him, then went to sleep. And then it was dope. He like sent, by the time I woke up, he had like made a second drop and added those vocals. And it's like, all right. Yeah. And then, you know, we, that was over a year ago. So we've been waiting a while to release it while we're working on other shit. Like, you know, we didn't know what we were going to do with it. He ended up putting it on his EP and he had Seth Master at the EP. So it sounds very nice and, you know, good, professional. And so that was very exciting. Uh, that one was super fun. But that was like a, it's kind of an interesting track. It's got like a pretty like energetic hard drop, but then like gets kind of bassy and deep after that. And then has this, you know, whole like UK grind vibe around it. So it was definitely a fun one. Yeah, me and him are making a bunch of music. We like we made like 10 more beats throughout February because I just started like, basically doing like you know hour timer beats like every day and we just send them to him and then he would work on him more send him back he was quick to respond with them so we got him done really quick and so that uh that couch fam set that i have on thursday has like nine or ten collabs with porch Man. yeah he's, he's all over that mix damn son um talk a little bit more about about that set uh first of all what time is it when when can people catch you and uh and like what 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 do you have in store for the people let's see i think it's what 4 30 pacific time on thursday and Mafunka's right before me so that's gonna be fun and that i'm sure that'll flow nicely into what what i'm doing and then i just did a 30 minute one because since i had to be all original i kind of you know, could possibly do 60 minutes, but I really like would rather have the ability to be more selective and put together a good mix than throw everything I got, you know? So I was just like, you know what? I'm going to just do the 30 minutes and make it, you know, be able to use just like the top tracks and be able to reject some and be like, no, I don't, that's not the time for it, you know? And so, yeah, it's a lot of, there's a lot of unreleased stuff that we just made this year. There's, you know, those, those two Widfam tracks from, you know, Kevin and Zipsy and then a couple from my first EP. And then that collab I did with Unk shows up in there. And the, a lot of the tracks that me and Porsche have been making have been actually like bootlegs, which is really fun. We've been sampling a lot of like kind of roots, like dub, like reggae kind of stuff, which, you know, that's, that's kind of what it's all about. Right. Like, like reusing those and reforming them and you know dubbing them out and so there's there's some pretty fun new bootlegs in there like we did a mungo's high five bootleg we did a um i did a bill bless bootleg that turned out pretty fun um we have a a welcome to london cut which we, you know he just got the welcome to london acapella from uh float and's band camp which like that was the, you know, that, that one I knew about because Push Loop did a Welcome to London track that I really like and I would use in my DJ sets. And so I actually like made a beat set to Porch and then he like threw that vocal on it and it worked really well. Like, all right, I guess this is Welcome to London now. But yeah. that, that one turned out really cool. And I mean, I guess that's not a unit, you know, like, I, I, don't, I don't know what the rules are on that. I mean, I guess we can release that, right? Like, if they're set, selling the acapellas on Bandcamp, that's, like, what it's for, right? So that, that one we should be able to actually put out because 
I mean, that's that's the whole point. Like, it's kind of like getting something on slice, right? You know, I'm not sure of the. So that's a gray area. <laughs> I want to double check uh, the yeah. on that SoundCloud. No, I, I'm pretty sure it's like it's like buying a sample pack. You know, like if they're giving selling you vocals, you use it. You know, so that's that's pretty sick. Because I, I I really like you know over the years gotten really like like at first I remember like the UK style grime vocals being you know being really intense and it's hard kind of hard to understand at first and. But over the years, you know, I really begin to appreciate that sound. And so th- those those are fun, fun ones to use for sure. Totally. Hey, um, I'm curious to ask about um to bring it to the Moon Splatter EP and then talk a bit about kind of some breakthroughs you had while you were working on that, and then maybe what you feel has changed with your writing process or you know what you're inspired by your current music compared to that EP oh yeah well I mean that was a while ago so that was like I mean the, since then like a lot of things have changed you know because like I, I was you know the the couple of years since that um, when even was that like it did get released in 2019 although I don't remember what month it was probably April so almost two years now so I mean the last two years like a lot of changed, you know and I've definitely grown a lot so I, I would say like what I was doing then is not at all what I'm doing now. You know, mm-hmm. like, like, like that, that EP was really like, you know, still kind of like discovering a lot of stuff. Like there was uh, a couple of tracks got replaced, like at the very end, you know, mm-hmm. after already working on it for like a year, you know, like, I because, feel that, you know, you keep having breakthroughs, like, and, and that's just, that's just, how it is you know and and yeah at some point you just got to call it done and move on but like obviously at the time i was still like growing a lot and discovering shit and it didn't i mean like i think i was using envelope follower in that ep and maybe some envelopes but like was kind of just like discovering that and like what i used it for what i what first kind of like what how i discovered envelope follower was i was listening to a podcast with cursa and he like kind of mentions it as a way to match your sub to your like mid-range you know wobbles and stuff because you know if you have a low pass filter on your mid-range that's changing the volume of your high-end frequency so if you have a envelope follower looking at that band that will give you motion to modulate your sub and so that was actually like a problem i was trying to figure out for a long time yeah like i've been thinking about that trying to figure it out and then i heard that in the podcast went home and started figuring that out because it's a really good solution to like mud pie bass for example or whatever you know or if you have a modular thing you're like making wobs with a knob it might not be possible to automate that and recreate the pattern you know like most likely isn't worth your time let alone maybe not even possible right so it's like the envelope followers are really fast effective solution to that and so that's like how I started using it. And so I was using that for some of the wobs and that EP and stuff. But obviously since then I found a lot more like, you know, uses for it and all that. But, you know, so it was definitely like, you know, it was, a, it was an interesting experience. Like, uh, you know, the, I did a remix of a track from Zipsy on there and that like, I had just bought a chord monologue, the little like mono synth that they released, which like I bought that because 
you know, I was sitting there at Fermilab learning about analog stuff. And it was like, they, they start, started hearing about the synth that was going to be released from Korg that was going to have some Aphex twin presets on it. Like he actually designed these presets. And it was only like, like 300 bucks or something. It was a pretty like moderately priced analog piece of gear. So it's like, all right, yeah, you know, got paid pretty well at Fermilab. So I decided, you know, I want to fucking buy one of those. And so, you know, like one of the tracks in there has a bass from that, which came from kind of like exploring mud pies and stuff on that little synth, you know? So it was like a lot of it was still like learning some of those workflows and exploring this new gear, you know? But, you know, that's, that's you know, it's like, is still part of the process. Like, yeah, I, 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 re I remember, especially when that came out, I really, I really liked that EP and, uh, I've actually listened back through it a few times since there's, there's a lot of gems on that one. Um, Thanks. yeah, I like, so how much, how much of that EP was, was influenced from that, that analog kind of phase? Were you still in that phase at that point? Was that kind well, of most of it really? Or, it was the yeah. only track on there that wasn't really heavily made with that chord synth was I Know You're There because that one's like mostly about the guitar, you know. Like, I recorded that guitar, like, um, and then I think I made the bass with like massive on that. Like, it's just kind of like a you know, not that complicated of a, like a wavetable bass that you know has some saturation and stuff. Really, you know, the whole focus of that track is the guitar the, the the samples that i totally stole from half-life and portal and stuff you know <laughs> but like that and that kind of you know gives it the whole vibe of what it is and, and i didn't i didn't quite understand that yet that that like you know the the value of that kind of simplicity of you know the guitar being the main thing and the, the bass line being you know really simple and rhythmic and stuff you know like like like, like i didn't i didn't know quite yet what made these things good right and so like like figuring all that out but then the other three tracks were pretty much all analog and like kind of mud pie based you know because that was i think for a lot of us once you first start doing that that's like kind of the most fun thing to do ever right and so it's yeah. like well yeah i'm gonna like explore making these sounds with this thing and so that that's really a lot of like how that was it's like exploring the mud pie samples and kind of workflow um, yeah i think you did a really good job because like what you were talking about like once you understand like the mud pie workflow it's like your tendency to do everything like that um especially in the bass music world uh and i think you did a really good job of like taking and making those songs not so complex having that being your workflow like having having still a very palatable flow to the songs rather than del delving into just like here's a cool sound here's a cool sound here's a cool sound because that's like the easiest thing to do and, and definitely matches with something you mentioned earlier which is um like you shouldn't be just sitting there trying to impress your friends with what you're making because although that is a natural tendency we actually just talked about that on an episode of the podcast it's a very natural tendency yeah sure. like you're like let me let me make something my friends are going to be like wow you know well, but like, well, and, not, like yeah. and like you know coming from like you know, metal and stuff it's like i used to play 
try to, or, you know, I wasn't ever that fucking good as I thought I was, but like, I used to want to play lead guitar and like nothing, no one's more of an obnoxious show off than a fucking lead guitar player in a metal band, right? <laughs> like, like, I, I just, just can't even imagine like being in that mindset anymore. It's just like so annoying. You know, like that's all they want to do is show off their fucking skills sometimes. And it's like, yeah. sometimes it doesn't fit. And you're like, stop that. No. Yeah. Yeah. I found that for, for my own music, at least I am purely a rhythm guitarist. <laughs> like it's like a, like if you were a lead guitarist trying to make electronic or bass music, like good luck, man, there's not yeah. enough, there's not enough room in your mix to show off all your talent. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you gotta know like what what fits and how to use that appropriately. That's yeah, like, I, I I realized really fast playing fast doesn't sound good if you also want to use a lot of delay. You know, yeah. you gotta have one or the other. It's like I well, I think I like delay more than playing fast. So yeah, like make if you want to use a lot of what? Sorry, you said effects delay. delay. You know, like high oh, feedback delays and stuff. Like you're throwing a lot of notes into that shit. It turns into mud real fast totally yeah. so we got a we got a question from uh from blue here in the discord chat do you have any uh projects or a new ep in the works potentially what are you working on now um that we can expect to hear in the coming months um yeah well i mean you know me and porch made all those tracks i feel like what we might do is at least like the bootleg ones just give those out as you know free downloads at some point and um i mean some of them the the roots ones we might even be able to really release you know because like that's kind of like you know reggae artists don't care like that's that's kind of the whole like point is so some of those we might be able to do for real and i you know i don't know i think i think now that i have this new studio set up that's like actually quiet and you know i was able to position the speakers well and it's like nice in here i definitely want to make a bunch more music and then I don't know. I think we'll like start releasing some singles just for fun, you know, whatever. And then I don't know. I might send them around to whatever. Like I know the Wid fam like already said I could do an EP with them. And I definitely want to. Um, I, I I'm gonna send some stuff to Deep Dark and Dangerous just for fun because I, I know I ha we have a couple that I feel like they'll they'll like, but I want to like. I don't know, probably make another like 10, 20 tracks and then see what we have and, you know, pass, like send him a lot. You know, me and me and Porch have been working on this stuff a lot and I know he's down to keep making stuff and he's, you know, we've got a really good like kind of system going where we're being becoming really efficient with this. And so, you know, now that I'm all set up here, I definitely want to make much more shit. You don't want to not release stuff. So I think we'll just start, you know, doing more self-releases and stuff because you know why not because labels don't mean the same thing they used to so you know whatever self-release stuff send some stuff out i, I don't know i mean like it's also it's hard to say because we don't know what's going to happen this summer you know it's we're kind of we're kind of in a weird spot here <laughs> yeah totally yeah. <laughs> of all types of weird spots absolutely yeah Definitely, definitely been a strange year and a half, but it's dope to hear that you're still, you know, pushing and making the music. Um, one thing I wanted to make sure we got in before we go is like, you know, so you've been on this journey for a while. You've, you know, been around the dojo first as a student, now as a sensei. You've given a lot of lessons. Is there like 
any, you know, one or two, you know, things that you would definitely for like folks who are, who are earlier in their career, like what would you wish you had heard way earlier? Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the, I mean, the biggest, I talk about this all the time and the biggest breakthrough for me was when I finally stopped kind of like resisting some of the things Dylan was trying to teach, like, you know, timer beats and using the recipes and stuff. Cause this is all, like, it's, it's interesting watching it the weekly download where it talks about timer beats. Cause he's like, Oh yeah. I was like 2016. I went on this fucking like journey and like toured the world and stuff. Like this is while he was, you know, teaching us. Right. So like, I remember him like having shitty internet in Jamaica and like, <laughs> like, you know, doing this whole thing. Like he was kind of discovering this whole like process himself and then being like, hey, you need to like use these recipes and do these timer beats. And at first it's kind of a weird idea. because you're just like, I, you know, what do you, what do you mean a recipe? Like, I don't need a recipe to make music. That doesn't make sense. It sounds creatively restricting at first, right? Like I, I, I totally understand the tendency to want to resist something like that. It sounds like he's telling you what to do and and impeding your creative process but really what he's doing is creating like making some sort of arbitrary decisions based on you know patterns that keep reoccurring in music and workflow and allowing you to like unlock that flow state better by by doing this and so when i finally start you know he was seeing me kind of overworking a lot of beats and this is even after having made some successful good tracks like you know i've been making music for a while at this point like i made some tracks and just didn't know why they were it was a really long kind of painful process to finish something and you know then i was having sessions and sending in a project that would have like just too many ideas thrown into one thing just completely incoherent constantly changing it's like dude you just need to like just do the recipes you know and, and finally, I did one that worked really well and came together a lot smoother. And then I did another, got really stoked. And he's like, all right, do this other one. I just bought that chord. So it's like, do this synth sampling one, which became known as the mud pie one. And that one turned out really good. And then he was like, all right, do 10 of those next month. It's like, oh, well, that sounds like a lot. I just spent a whole month on that beat. I used to spend many months on a beat. You're telling me to do 10. You're crazy. And then it was, you start thinking about it more like, okay, well, I have this recipe, has steps, you can set timers and steps, 10 beats is like two and a half beats a weekend. I ended up making like eight, like kind of phase two beats, right? And then the next month was February. So, okay, well, now do 14. That's one every other day. And I didn't know FOM was like a thing, you know, he's like, dad, do 14. And then I did, I think it did like 12. And then, so that was like, you know, 20 phase two beats in two months, just like grinding out these recipes. And then that's when really everything started to like connect. And that's when I the workflow this. became became something that like I didn't have to think about. And I knew I could get from some crazy sound to a beat to a phase two. And like, you know, and like I only ended up finishing one of those beats and it ended up on my EP. It's called It's Like That Now. That was during that period. But I always tell my students, like those 19 other beats, I still possibly learned more from because you really learn a lot when things don't work. And, you know, you, you think about like, why did you lose energy working on that beat? Why did it stop being fun? Why weren't those sounds, that combination of sounds like working together or whatever? And then also, if I used to spend two months on a beat, like I'm still making up, still keeping up with that pace if I only release one of those. 
you know? And so it's like, you, you gain so much more from doing all those other beats. And you know, that's something that you don't, it's hard to really understand until you do it, you know? So that's, that's the biggest thing. It's like, don't resist that part of it because that's just practice. It's just building up your skills so that you can easily reach that flow state and, you know, not have this whole complicated computer system interface, like get in the way of you and making music, you know, like that, yeah. those recipes and those timer beats, it's all just practice, just like playing your scales on the guitar so you can jam with people. You know, you can't go in a room and just jam with people if you don't know how to play. Yeah. And so it's like the same thing being in the studio. And that's, that's the thing that's hard to understand at first. Cause like, you know, you, you think that it's all like, in your head just sitting there telling the computer what to do you know but really it's not most of the time like maybe it is for some people you know everyone's different but you know i think for most people you want to like make it natural and unlock that flow state you know yeah and i think that, that that's like that's the thing like that's the constant like being able to find ways to work in flow state more often is the one thing that is always a consistent thread no matter where you're at in your musical journey like that will always benefit will always create better music and will always lead to a more fun smooth experience if you're able to keep yourself in that flow state it doesn't matter how big your tool set has gotten how much knowledge you've learned about these different things. Sometimes that's an inhibitor to flow state. Like, like you have this new tool that you learned and you like just made this thing with it. And you're like, this is really cool. I need to like make this work in the context of this song that I'm using. Like that's a pitfall. And, yeah. and like, and like the constant of like, how do I return to being able to keep myself in flow state? How do I return to the process that works is always going to be something that benefits you and your musical output more than any technique or tool or, or knowledge. Like all of that is always going to change. You're always going to have a different setup. You're going to lose things, not care about things, learn new things. And it's going to, it's going to grow and change. But if you can maintain that rock, that that physical sense of process, that is always going to benefit you. Um, and I think that that's kind of it. Seems to be a thread throughout this conversation with you how to how to like make sure that you're 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 dialing in on the right things. You know, no matter what level that you're at, like how do you use the tools at your disposal to to really benefit the project and the song rather than uh thinking about what you do or don't have or or all of these other many many topics or techniques that you could be using um so yeah man what else uh what else would you like to mention to the people if anything or um any 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 parting yeah any parting words before you give all the ats on where to follow yourself uh, I don't know. I, I, I mean, you know, just, I've had a good time chatting. I don't, I don't know Absolutely. if I really have anything else to add. I think that kind of, kind of covers the big like philosophical yeah. points that, you know, like, I mean, these are all things that are like constantly going on in my head, you know, it's like, especially as yeah. a teacher, like you're caught talking about this shit all the time. So but I think 
I think we did a good job covering the main points. Yeah. Sick. If I could tackle plus one on for timers as well, I'm going to do that right now. Just say (laughs) everybody should be doing timers. Yeah. Well, if nothing else, man, uh, where can everyone follow you on all the socials, where to keep up to date with you? And uh, don't don't yeah, don't forget 4:30 PST this Thursday. Yeah, it's pretty easy. It's just Moonsplatter, like at Moonsplatter for everything. It's a it's a made up word, so you're not going to find it on anything else. You know, it's a good name. That's a that's a win. <laughs> yeah, absolute win. Yeah, like I said, 4:30 PST this Thursday. Couch Fam set a lot of unreleased material, as you guys heard. And for everybody um, listening to this podcast, not live on Dojo TV, we're talking 4.30 PST two weeks ago. You missed it. Why weren't you on Dojo TV? You should have been listening. Yes. You should have been here. Come on. <laughs> tisk, so, tisk. Thank you so much for being here. Moon Splatter, you're the man. So oh, yeah. many dropped, so many interesting stories. Really appreciate you, bro. And really looking forward to that music that's coming out soon. Hell yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me, you guys. Great kicking it with you, man. Thanks for coming on. Peace, everybody. Peace. And peace, peace. among world. Peace among world. <laughs> That's right. I like it. All right, humans. Thank you so much for being with us. We truly appreciate y'all tuning in. Make sure to subscribe, like, leave a comment and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're at. We really appreciate you guys and make sure to ask a question like, what would you want to hear on a future episode? Are there any guests we should try to get? Let us know. Um, Make sure to support our sponsors. You know, they are awesome products that we all use. Those links are in the description. And one more time to remind you, it is Dojo TV where you can get free producer classes from all the producer dojo senseis and also watch this awesome podcast live and chat with the chat. Uh, big up chat um, you can get the dojo max membership private monthly lessons unlimited track feedback and ill gates weekly download archive all in one low price it is amazing it's like a whole producer university without that university price tag guest practices where you can learn from seth drake at the approach institute hands down the best engineer we know His classes are mind-blowing. You will not think about sound the same after you go through his courses. And finally, Gangaroo Records Music Distribution, where you can get unlimited uploads for under $10. Get those tunes out to all the goons, all the services, and uh, do it for a lot cheaper than their competitors. All right, y'all. We'll see you next week when we got Alexandra on the podcast. We're really excited to talk to her. Until then. Peace, peace among worlds.